Today we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 5, if you want to be turning to it. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've uh, what we've seen is the apostles uh, have some really pretty incredible experiences, right? They've watched Jesus return to heaven. Uh, they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and since that day, what we've seen is how these empowered believers uh, begin to carry out the Great Commission that Jesus gave them to be his witnesses and to go into all the world and make disciples. So uh, Jesus told them to begin in Jerusalem and then to go on from there, sharing the good news and performing miracles in his name. And so today what we're going to see is as they've been doing that, as they've been obedient and they've been walking out the Great Commission, we're going to see how they've been maturing in their faith. We're going to see what's been changing in their lives and how it, and how it affects uh, everything around them. Uh, we're also going to see what kind of responses they get from the people, but also from the religious establishment. A little bit different. So to start, we're going to read a bit in Acts. I want to start in Acts, actually in chapter 4. We're going to mainly be looking at Acts 5, but I want to start in 4 because it helps the first part of 5 uh, fall into context. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please open with me to Acts 4. We're going to start with verse 32, and we're going to read through uh, chapter 5, verse 11. So it says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what, he had, what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, came in not knowing what his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about it in these events. Wow. 
Well, okay, so we see here in, in starting in Acts 4 at the end that Barnabas sold a field, brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. After that, Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, but they kept some of the money for themselves and then brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. But see, what they, what they did is they said they had brought the entire amount that they had received. But the Holy Spirit revealed this deception to Peter and he confronted Ananias. And Ananias fell down dead. A few hours later, his wife Sapphira, uh, she arrives, repeats the same story. Peter addresses her sin, and just like her husband, she fell down dead. Now here's the question. So what was the sin that Ananias and Sapphira committed? What's that? Okay, they pride. They lied. They yeah, they, I mean, we, I think a lot of times we might think, well, they, they lied about their, you know, you know what, they, they were not generous, okay? But really, that, that wasn't the issue. The issue was they lied. They lied to God. They, it told us before that Barnabas sold a piece of land, and let's say he sold it for $1,000, you know, just it doesn't matter, amount of money. He sold it for $1,000. He brought $1,000 and gave it to the apostles, Okay? Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land for $1,000, but let's, they kept 100 for themselves. And then they came and laid the rest at the apostles' feet and said that they had gotten $900 for it. But they'd actually gotten 1000 And so, And so now uh, the problem is in that the, their sin, and, and see, what Peter said was, wasn't the land yours before you sold it? I mean, nobody made them sell the land. And wasn't the money at your disposal after you got it? So there was, it, it would have been fine for them to have, have sold it for a thousand, kept a hundred, you know, and brought nine hundred and said, no, we sold it for a thousand, but we're bringing nine hundred. That would have been fine because it was theirs. But they, but they lied and said, no, we only got nine hundred. And so the, 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 the problem is here is we think about it. They were pretending to be more generous than they were. They were pretending to, to give it all. Their sin was lying. And Peter said, you haven't just lied to men, you've lied to God. So Ananias and Sapphira wanted to, to be seen by all the people around them as more generous than they actually were. They wanted, they wanted to look good without really paying the price. You know, it's, it's interesting when you read the scripture here, it's interesting to note, Peter didn't judge Ananias and Sapphira. Peter just said what they did. He just spoke the truth. The judgment came from God. So, verse 11 tells us, tells us that the news of Ananias and Sapphira's punishment uh, brought this great fear in the city regarding the power of God. Now, let's remember that up till now, the organized church has been this powerless, benign event. It was kind of attend, uh, give your money, follow the rules, 
and go home. But there was no power of God there. And now what's starting to happen is because the Holy Spirit has come and, and these guys are walking in it and these new believers are following after. But now God's power comes with a call to righteousness and an expectation of that. So let's continue and let's read more in chapter 5. We're going to read verses 12 to 16. And it says, okay, so the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed. So the apostles and all the people who believed continued to meet regularly there in Solomon's colonnade, which was where that first miracle occurred that we talked about a couple weeks ago. But think about it, this possibility after all these years, people have been, these, these folks have been going to church, right? They've, they've been going to temple, but nothing has really been happening. There's been no demonstration of power. There's been nothing that like really attracted them. It was just they were doing their duty. They were doing it because it was what was expected. But all of a sudden now, there was this potential, this real power, and it was attracting people. It was attracting them, and it made them want to know more. So people came to be healed, it says, from all around the region. And some of them were maybe weak enough or infirm enough that they couldn't get all the way to the temple. So what did they do? They said, well, at least put me in the street along the way where the apostles pass by, because even if I can't get all the way to where the meeting is, hey, as they walk by, maybe at least the shadow of Peter will, will come on me and I'll be healed. Now, I know to a lot of us that sounds silly, Right? But you know what it says? Did you see at the end? It says, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed. Hey, you know, a lot of times when, what that reminded me of, and this isn't in my notes, but what it reminded me of when I read that, is remember the story of Naaman, you know, who wanted the apostle, you know, wanted Elijah, you know, to cure him of his leprosy. And, you know, he came and, you know, he wanted Elijah to come out and, you know, do something. He said, I'll oh, just go dip in the water. You know, didn't even touch him, Right. You know, and, and, and Naaman says, well, I thought at least you'd come out and, you know, kind of wave your arms over me and, you know, kind of do something, okay? And, you know, there's this thing that we have a lot of times is in our minds, we have an expectation about how God's going to do something. And when he doesn't do it, we think, well, then that's not God. That can't work. Hey, God can do anything, anytime, any way. And today, what it tells us is that not only was God healing people that the apostles, you know, maybe like laid hands on and prayed for, but even people that couldn't make it to church, but just took, no, just think about it. I mean, this is kind of their version, right? Even the folks who couldn't make it to church, but said, you know what? The apostles are going to drive down my street on the way to church. If I can at least just get out on the curb. We pray a lot of times that the people who come by here would feel the presence of God. We've prayed that in our leadership team many times that on Sunday morning, it, that boy, that God will draw people. He'll remove barriers for them to come. 
but that even people that just drive along the street or through the parking lot would sense the presence of God and it would draw them in. Now that can sound like a crazy prayer, except it sounds like it can work. I mean, isn't it awesome to understand that we serve a God so powerful that there's not just like this one way. If you can't do it just this one way, because what if, not, I never got taught that one way. I mean, you know, and so I mean, I just love that God does things like this, okay? So it's attracting people where just even a shadow would touch them and they would be healed. Okay, so this is catching the attention of a lot of church folk, right, who now are thinking, well, maybe, maybe coming to church, maybe this thing with God is actually going to change my life. Maybe there's power. Well, okay, because now it's not just faith, you know, full of old rituals. Okay, this has actually got power attached to it. But even though there's all these people whose lives are getting changed and transformed and, and they're, they're, they're experiencing a joy they've never experienced and all these things are happening, uh, there's also some other folks who are noticing this too. And this is the religious elite. These are the guys whose attendance is dropping <laughs> as, right, as, as this new faith is growing. And they're not too happy about it. So let's keep reading and let's see how they respond. So this is going to be Acts. We're in chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 17. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in public jail, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail... The officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> On <laughs> okay, isn't that a great story? Just, I mean, just, <laughs> just right there, okay. And I got this in my notes elsewhere, but you know what I just love about that story? The Sadducees, you know, the guys who, who did this and sent them, Part of what they believe is they don't believe in angels. So what would God do? He sent an angel <laughs> to, to let him out. I, I, just, I just love that, okay? On, so on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss. <laughs> yeah, wondering what this might lead to. Like more miracles. Oh, no, you know. Okay. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force, however, because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. 
the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men, and you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. So, it tells us the high priest and all the religious leaders got really jealous, so they have the apostles put in jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord comes, opens the doors, brings them out. I just love how God works things out. None of the guards who were standing there heard or saw anything. I mean, think of, the, think of that. I mean, I... I would get it if the guards all saw the angel, they all faint in fear, like all everybody does when they see angels, you know, they all fall, you know, and they go, well, this angel appeared, and we all just kind of fell over in fear, and I guess he let him out, but they don't even know anything, they don't know how it happened, because the next day when they come to get him, they, they're all standing there expecting that the prisoners are inside, and the prisoners aren't inside, they're back out teaching, okay? Now, here's, the, here's another part that I, I really love about humans and how we are. Think about this. So they go, they open the door, it's all empty, and then about, and they're all going, well, where are they? Because the guards are all in place. So somebody says, well, I think I saw them out in the temple courts, out teaching again. I mean, okay, so of course the guards have to run out there and go get them, okay? And they drag them back in now in front of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin's, what would the Sanhedrin's first question be if it was you? What would you ask them? How did you get out of jail? Right? I mean, I mean that, that's the only logical first question is, how did you get out of jail? But that's not what they ask. Okay? When the apostles get brought in for questioning, the first thing they say is, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. I mean, like, well, who cares? I want to know how you got out of jail. I mean, 
I mean, it's, but see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Because if I ask you that question and you give me the answer, you're going to tell me an angel do it that I don't believe in. And so now I've got another problem because, first of all, you're going to tell me that God sent an angel and, and, and by the way, you are out and you got set free. And now I've got to admit that a miracle occurred. And they don't want to do that. So they just skip over the elephant in the room and, and go on to saying, didn't we teach you, you know, didn't we tell you not to do this? I mean, it's just amazing to me. Okay, and then they say, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. And now, and, and here's the next thing. And then they say, and you're making us responsible for Christ's death. Like this is news. Do you remember that these are the same people that just a few weeks earlier when Jesus was on trial before Pilate and, Pilate, and they hold up and say, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? And they say, no, it says in Matthew 27, 25 that the religious leaders yelled out and said, let his blood be upon us and our children. They said this. They claimed it. They said, let his blood be on us and our children. What a thing to do to your kids. Okay? So, I mean, this is, but now, but now that, I mean, because see, they never thought Jesus would be back. <laughs> well, no, I mean, really, think how, I mean, I'm really, this is not, I'm not trying to make this funny, but do you understand that, I mean, you re, got to read this and actually put yourself in the thing. And you start to go, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, of course, they thought they would kill Jesus, solve their problem. He would never be back. And so, I mean, they thought, what's the risk of saying, yeah, let his blood be on us. But now the dude comes back. And now what do they do? They, I mean, they, they've got to, like, ignore and play, play like none of this ever happened. And like, oh, now, now that he's back, you're trying to say we're guilty. Well, yes, you are because of the own words that came out of your own mouth. And so... Peter, but I love Peter. Now think, because this is Peter who back at the same time when these guys were saying, yeah, let his blood be on us, this is the same guy who was over around a campfire saying, I don't know who he is. And now, and now here's Peter standing before him. And, and Peter is not accusing them. Peter is just stating facts of things that happened. Big difference. He said, you hung him on a cross. Well, I mean, yeah, there's only 100,000 people who know that. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, this is, it's not like Peter is, is making, you know, it's like making something up and accusing him. He's just telling them, he's rereading, you know, the headlines from a few weeks ago. Okay, and so he says, he, and, but see, here's, the, here's why that's important, is Peter is, is, not, is not accusing He's just giving a frank explanation of historical facts, okay? But here's what's amazing he does. He follows it with an offer of salvation, okay? He, he doesn't accuse them and say, you're all going to hell. He says, but no, but it can, he, he offers them a chance to repent. But, but what did they do? They, I mean... Common sense would say, with all the evidence that these people have just had in front of them, right? I mean, they've seen Jesus. They know that he's alive. They saw the miracles. You would think, I mean, I believe most of us would like to believe we have the common sense and we have the, 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 you know, the ability to, to, to learn and to perceive, to say, in, in the face of this amount of evidence, I'm a believer. 
I'm, I'm in. I receive it. Jesus, save me. What did they do? It tells us they were furious and they wanted to put these guys to death immediately. Immediately. The disciples can't do anything about it. I mean, they're helpless. They're prisoners. Okay? Have you ever been in a situation where God intervened on your behalf in a pretty significant way, but from like a totally unexpected source? Can you ever think? I mean, has God ever come in and kind of saved the day? I mean, some of us can probably think of something. I'm not asking for stories, okay? But, I mean, I bet if you think about it, you can think of some times in your life when God has come in and, and has resolved a problem or saved you from something, and you, when you think back, you go, man, I would have never thought that's where the help would have come from. Well, that's exactly what happens here. Verses 33 and 34 showed us that God can provide help from like the most unlikely sources, because on this occasion, you know, the Sanhedrin we talk about, Okay, this, this, it's religious, but think of that almost like as Congress. Well, no, I mean, but I mean from a standpoint where like you have Republicans and Democrats. Okay, you know, okay, well, again, this is church, not government, okay. But you have Sadducees and Pharisees, and, they, and that's who makes up the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees are in control. They have the majority. The Pharisees are in the mi minority, okay. So, so the power, the high priest and the majority are the Sadducees, okay? So now, here's the deal. So they are, they are furious. They want to execute these guys immediately, but a calm, level-headed guy named Gamaliel stands up and says, hang on, move these guys out for a few minutes. I just want to talk to the, to the Sanhedrin. Gamaliel was a Pharisee, a member of the minority party. So if you will, this is a guy who has no power. Okay? All he has is apparently the motivation and power of God. Even if he didn't realize God was using him, God was using him, okay, to, to direct and bring reason here. And so Gamaliel gets up and he makes an argument that is really simple. He just says, if, if what these men are doing, and it's of human origin, it's going to fail. It'll, it'll, let's say, it, we would say, it'll run out of steam. You know, and sooner or later, they're going to say something goofy, and we're going to see that they made it, the whole deal up, and it's going to run out of steam. We, and he gave two examples of previous times when something, someone had, you know, popped up, looked good, and, and it all got died off real shortly, okay? So he says, if these guys are doing this on their own, don't worry, let it go, it'll fail. But, but, if this is from God, then we're going to only find ourselves fighting against God. And even those guys knew they didn't want to fight against God. They knew that. Okay, well, fortunately, Gamaliel was persuasive, the Sanhedrin called, they dropped for the call for execution. So they had the men flogged and then released. Now, it says they gave them 39 lashes. 
okay, which was no trivial punishment. I mean, 39 lashes was the maximum they were allowed to impose on a prisoner. And there are some who'd say that it was like, you know, much more and you would die. Okay, but they gave them 39 lashes, so it's way more than a slap on the wrist. But, but, here's, but here's the fact. It leaves the apostles alive. Okay, it left them alive and able to continue carrying out their mission. You know, I know that this can sound really sterile in one way, but it's just the truth, and I want us to apply it to ourselves in just a minute. Jesus gave the, the, his apostles and the believers the Great Commission. The Great Commission was to go, teach, make disciples. Okay? And, and, he, and, and when, if you call, we were talking a couple weeks ago, and that means, like, start now. I mean, it's like once Jesus gives you some marching orders, it's not like, well, and, you know, start whenever you're rested up and, you know, the grass is cut and, and you feel like it. It's if when you got orders from Jesus, it's go do it now. Okay, so these guys actually were out. They got started. They were doing it now. Well, so this whole thing about getting arrested and put in jail, talk about fighting against God. What you're doing from this, from a, a higher level, is what you're, what you're doing is you're interfering with people performing the job description that God gave them. Now, now which one, how do you think that's going to end up? Okay? Okay, I mean, if, if, if you tell me that the thing that you're doing is something that God has given you to do, and I get in the way and try to, try to block you or stop you from doing that, I'm not messing you up. I'm messing with God. And if God really meant it, then he's going to clear the path for you to get back to work. Okay? I mean, it's really that, it's really that simple. And that's what's happening here. So, so Gamaliel is, is, God uses him and has them not execute the men, but, to, but yes, to punish them, but with 39 lashes, but it left them alive, and it let them get back to work carrying out their mission. So, and it says, the apostles in verses 41 and 42, that they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of, of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. So, let's think about us, okay? What, what can we learn? These guys, new in faith, growing each day, their numbers growing, things are happening, there's a lot moving all at once. And so, let's look at this and say, okay, because there's this new power and this accountability for, for obedience and righteousness, how can we daily grow in our faith? How can we be like them and grow in our faith uh, in obedience to God? Well, some examples we get from today's passage are really simple. One of them is first thing we do if we want to grow in our faith is be honest. Basic as that sounds, a lot of people have trouble with honesty. We've got to be honest. You've got to be honest with yourself, with other people, and you've got to be honest with God. Ananias and Sapphira's sin, like we said earlier, was not greed. It was lack of honesty. And they died for it. They died for it. You know, we said it. Ananias and Sapphira were disinterested in keeping up appearances. They wanted to look good. They wanted to look better than they were. So, as we grow in our faith, we got to decide to make honesty our policy. So, that means, you know, we forget about the little white lies. We forget about the, well, you know, okay. We forget about the embellishments and, you know, 
for all of us who are fishermen or would be, you know, the fish was really only this big. <laughs> right? It's only this big. Okay? It's not, oh yeah, it was uh, this big. No, no, it was only this big. Okay? You know, we, we are given, because we, look, all of us in our lives, we want to we feel and sound successful. We want to feel and sound good about ourselves. It's really easy to just make things that are, that are quite normal and no one would think less of us sound bigger and better than they were because we just want to, we, we think it'll make us sound good, okay? And, and we just have got to understand that we just need to live using clean, pure, lovingly honest truth. And, and, and sometimes when people say, well, yeah, but I, you know, I, you know I, I don't want to tell somebody, you know, something that'll hurt their feelings. Okay, Scripture talks about that. Ephesians 4, verse 15, talks about us speaking the truth in love. There's a lot of ways to say a lot of things. There's always a way that God will give you to say even difficult things in love. So let's be honest. First big step, if we want to grow in faith, be honest. Second thing is be obedient. Be obedient. Growing in our faith means we got to walk boldly in obedience. And here's the difficult part. we got to do it even when the crowd's going the other way. That's not always easy. On our Thursday night Bible study a few years ago, we studied a book. I love the title. The title of the book is the whole story, okay? The title of the book was Immediate Obedience. Immediate Obedience. It was all about that, okay? And, and that's really it. Think about it. Jesus gave the, gave the apostles and the believers the Great Commission, and he said in a few days, you're going you're gonna to be empowered, you know, so wait in Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit. And he says, then get after it. Well, immediate obedience, they did. You know, if you go back through Scripture and, and you see some of the great patriarchs of the faith, one of the things that you note about them is that when God talked to them and said, leave your country, go here, do this, it doesn't say they waited a week or two till they got all their chores done. It just says they packed up and went. I mean, there is something. I, I wonder, I, I, I would like to believe I practice immediate obedience. I think most of us would. But I wonder in my life if I've ever missed some opportunities because I delayed a little bit. Because I didn't quite feel good that day, you know, or, or, you know, or I thought I had something I needed to do, or just, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't quite ready yet, I didn't think, you know. I, I, I want to make sure, at least, and I think you do too, if God is speaking to us and he shows us something, whether we see it in his word, we, you know, however we come to feel called by God to do something, I wonder what would be different in our lives if every time we knew that, we just said, right now. I'm going to start moving right now. I'm going to be obedient immediately. Sanhedrin had already told Peter and John to stop teaching in, in Jesus' name, but they had this assignment from God. They knew, and, and, and see, they knew it really was from God. No, then that's really an important part of that, right? They, they, this assignment they had... When, when it, um, for practicing immediate obedience, I want to make sure it's not just a good idea, right? Because sometimes immediate obedience comes at a cost. 
it might affect some of my relationships. Might, you know, some of my friends might not like it so much. It might affect some other. I might, I might bear a cost for this immediate obedience. And so the, the thing is, we don't just do it off on some wild hair. I'm saying when you know it's from God, and these guys knew it was from God. But when the truth of it is, for most of us, when God has really spoke to you, spoken to you, to your heart, through his word, through someone else, if we're honest, would you say you really knew it? Okay. There's something about when God speaks to you, it just resonates within you as the truth. It, you just know it. I, I, a friend, I, I always like the phrase, I know it, I know it in my knower. <laughs> I, I, I just know it in a way that I can't quite explain to you, but I know it so completely and so profoundly, and I know it with such a peace within me that I know, okay? I know that I know that I know. When you know that, obey immediately. It will, no matter what it costs, it will always be better than the alternative, whatever the alternative might have been. Okay, so if you want to grow in your faith, I would offer to you to determine in advance that you are going to be a person who obeys immediately, obeys what God puts on your heart to do. Third final thing, trust God. Now, I know we all know that, and I know we all, you know, like Sunday School 101 would say, well, of course you would say that. We're here at church. Trust God. But how many times do we not really do that? You know, we get in a tight spot, and we start checking out our options. We start thinking, how will we handle this? Who can I call? What can I do? And not that that's bad, but, but, but the first thing we ought to do is trust God and turn it to Him. How many battles have you and I tried to fight in our lives that God never intended for us to fight at all? It's just that we tried to figure out our own path through it. Usually, didn't work out very well. Then we go, oh, God, help me. And he does. And I'm so thankful that he does. But how much pain could have been avoided by starting out with that? You know, Peter and John get thrown in jail. They couldn't do anything about that. They were, I mean, they were overpowered. They were outnumbered. They, they, they would have died resisting being thrown in jail. They couldn't help it. But the, the Sanhedrin was getting in the way of those guys doing what God had told them to do. So they just trusted God. And what did God do? Sends an angel. I mean, he sent an angel. Now, I tend to think of God solving my problems by, uh, you know, if I got a flat tire on the side of the road, oh, God, help me. I think maybe he'll have Steen and William drive by, you know. No, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll have somebody that knows me and might not be scared of me, you know, you know, right? You know, somebody, I mean, I understand, you know, a guy sitting on the side of the road with a flat tire. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't expect some stranger, you know, some lady to drive by and, yeah. Huh? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't, ex I wouldn't expect that, but what I, but. But I'd, I'd think, God, you answered my prayer if, you know, if you send somebody by that knows me and says, hey, how can we help you? You see what I mean? I mean, I, we tend to think like that. All right? 
But, but sometimes God wants to show you how much he wants to save you. So he, he could have done a lot of things, right? I mean, he could, have, he could have shown them, oh, these guys, their keys dropped out of their pocket when they locked us up. Look, there's keys there. We'll just let ourselves out. But no, God actually wanted to confirm to them how much he loved them and how much this job assignment he had given them, how important it was for them to do it. So he decides to solve it with an angel. And I love it. Okay, but, but, but they had to trust God. They, you see, they had, to, they had to believe in him. So he sends this angel, walks him out, that in a way no one even knows what's happening, okay? And then, once again, they're out preaching, teaching in the courts. Somebody says, oh, they're out there. They go drag them back into the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin now wants to kill them right now. But they trusted God. So what did God do? He touches the heart of a guy named Gamaliel, who's got no power, except that he just happens to have an anointed tongue right now to speak what needs to be said, and it changes the hearts of a whole bunch of people who five minutes ago were ready to kill these guys and now are ready to let them go with a, with a, few, with a few lashes. That's a miracle. I don't know how many of you... Uh, have been, are, are still with us on reading the daily Bible readings, okay? But, but if you are and you're doing them, you know, in, in the same one we're using and in the sequence, uh, yesterday, yesterday, I, I read this as, well, I got to put this in my message because this is exactly my point here about trusting God. Uh, so this, we were reading, yesterday the passage had us reading about King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah uh, was facing uh, the king of Assyria and they were, and the king of Assyria had come with like his vast army, and these guys are outmanned and outgunned, and I mean, they will all die. Okay? Hezekiah is in deep trouble. But, 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 but Hezekiah trusted God. But Hezekiah didn't, didn't spend that moment going, well, let's recount the soldiers and let's check our bullets and let's make sure no guns are jammed and the arrows are sharp. Do you see what I mean? I mean, logic would say, we got a big battle ahead. Let, let's, let's make sure we got, you know, all the, the weapons in the right places and we got the soldiers lined up. No, what Hezekiah did, and we read this in 2 Chronicles 32.7, 32, yeah, 2 Chronicles 32.7, it says, Hezekiah told his military officers, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid are discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. Listen to this. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. And then down in verse 20 and 21, same chapter, King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet cried out in prayer to heaven about this situation. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king, who then had to retreat to his own land in disgrace. Listen, when you trust God, he will fight battles for you in ways you would never have imagined. He can call on resources that you don't even know exist. He can change hearts. 
He can bring people into the picture that you don't know about. He can release resources that you don't have access to. He can open doors that are closed to you and will never be open to you except that God opens them. But we have to trust God. And we start there. We don't end there. We start, if we want to mature in our faith, we will learn to start trusting God to begin with and watch him fight the battle. Think about it. Hezekiah and his troops never shot an arrow. God did all the work. They didn't say, oh God, help us kill all the Assyrians. They just said, God, we're outmanned, we're outnumbered. Save us. We're your people. When they got there, the battle was already done. They, the angel of the Lord went through the camp. They're all dead. I mean, isn't it amazing the power of the God we serve and the things he can do? We can experience that just like these guys did and grow in our faith. If we'll walk in the truth, live in obedience, and learn to trust God fully with everything we face. Would you guys stand with me? We'll, we'll get ready to close. So, you know, we're all in different places in our lives. And, you know, if you take those three things, uh, you know, you might say, well, you know, being honest is not a, not a real challenge for me. I'm, I'm, I've, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good there. Okay? Or you may look at obedience and, uh, you know, say, huh, you know, I could use a little bit of work there. Or, you know, you may look at the thing about trusting God and say, well, that one's a hard one for me. You know, wherever it is, you, we all can struggle with different ones at different times. But right now, just if you bow your head and close your eyes, if, if there's one of those areas that for you is a weak spot, that you really want to commit to God, that you do want to mature in your faith, and you want to see him um, move in your life. And so today you're ready to say, yeah, that's an area that I want to commit to God and I want to grow in. I want to mature in my faith. Honesty, obedience, or trust. Just raise your hand, any one of those. Amen, amen. You know, it's like all of us. Okay, look, God, today... Lord, you know our hearts, you know our lives. Lord, we're committed to you. We want to live for you, Father. We want our lives to count. We want them to matter. And so, Lord, today, I pray that in every area of our life, Lord, that we, we will commit to you, Lord. And today, and as we speak about our honesty and our obedience and our, uh, our trust in you, Lord, I pray that you would uh, build us up where we're weak. You would strengthen us where we need it. And, God, I pray that we would, uh, because, Lord, we have that same testimony of knowing the risen Savior, Lord, that we would be as bold in our faith as the apostles were. So, Lord, today, I thank you for your love and care for each of us, and I pray, God, that today we would, uh, Lord, just continue to press on and grow in our faith and our walk with you and see your hand at work in our lives in powerful and miraculous ways. God, I pray that you would use us to change the places where we live, where we work. God, I pray that you would flow through us, and I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, Lord, I pray that, as, that the people, Lord, that we pray for would be healed. Lord, I pray that people would 
just say, if I can even just get near that person, uh, I believe God's touch would rest on me. Lord, I pray that we would be those people as well. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.